Pure Chiss Saskatchewan are at the post of the team. Champions again! This is Jeff Shatler. You're listening to the Rush Hour Podcast. This is the Rush Hour Podcast presented by Original 16, the best beer in the game. I'm your host, Cody Jansen, play-by-play voice of the Rush this season. And on this episode, we're going to get you set for a tilt against Vancouver this weekend. A lot of changes. We're going to catch up with the new head coach, Jimmy Quinlan, the general manager, Derek Keenan, who's going to be stepping behind the bench for the rest of the season, plus forward Ryan Keenan is on the show and a familiar voice in Rush Nation, Jake Elliott. Now the play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Warriors. He's going to hop on for a quick second to preview the game this weekend. So it's a packed show. We might as well get right to it. After the changes this week, Jeff McComb no longer the head coach of the Saskatchewan Rush after a 4-10 start to the season, but captain franchise player, the only one to have his jersey lifted to the rafters. Jimmy Quinlan's going to take over as head coach. Let's hear from him right now. Joined now by head coach of the Rush, Jimmy Quinlan. Jimmy, walk me through how the news on Saturday got to you. The news got to me on Saturday. I had a brief conversation with uh, Mr. Keenan on uh, Friday about my interest in the position and whether that was something that I would be able to do. And uh, I was surprised by it, excited at the same time. Um, Felt awful for my good friend there, Jeff. Um, and then after some discussions with my, uh, daughters and my wife, uh, we decided that we would, uh, take advantage of the opportunity, um, as they obviously don't come around often. And, uh, I got back to Derek there, uh, that evening. And then, uh, the next morning, obviously the, the official news broke. So, um, it was a, it was a bizarre 24 hours. It's a, it's a little bit, uh, kind of foreign and new right now, but, uh, I'm, I'm really excited and uh, kind of can't wait for the weekend to get here. What are your initial thoughts then on Friday when Derek reaches out to you and says, hey, would you have interest in taking over the Rams? Well, my, my first thought is the guy that I've spent so much time working with and working under in Jeff McComb. And um, that, was, that was my first, and first thought was uh, what, what he would be going through. Um, and, and so again, it, it, it took a while for me to process it. I, I was fortunate where, um, I wasn't actually at work or anything. Um, I, I was away with my wife and kids. And so I had a lot of time to kind of mull it over with her and talk about it. And, uh, again, that, uh, that, that excitement, um, that someone trusts you with that position and, and believes that you can do a good job with it. Uh, that's kind of where I shifted my focus. And, and so, um, yeah, that that's kind of that, that was kind of the process. It, it, again, um, wasn't an easy choice for me um, for multiple reasons, but at the same time, it was something that uh, uh, I didn't think I could pass up, and I'm excited to 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 get going. What does this opportunity mean to you? I mean, you're the only rush player with their jersey in the rafters. You've captained the team before. You spent most of your career there. What does this mean for you? Well, I, I think it's for me. I, I think the biggest piece for me it just again. Hard work prevails, I guess. I'm a guy who's always, I've been an emotional guy. I'm a, I'm a guy who likes to talk. I'm a guy who communicates. But really, at the end of the day, I've always tried to pride myself both as a, a player and an assistant coach as, as somebody who um, is not afraid of work. And uh, no matter the score, no matter the the, the time, I, I'm going to go out there and, and do my best. And that's how I'm approaching 
uh, this week and the, the remaining of this season and going into the off season is just, I'm, I'm not afraid to do the work. I enjoy the work. I love the game. The game's given me so much. Um, and, and I think that a lot of times just shows in, in my energy and passion for the game and love for the game. So, um, that's kind of the approach I'm going to take. And, uh, again, I'm absolutely, um, thrilled that people think highly enough of me and that I I'd be capable in that position. So, um, I will do my best to keep the, uh, organization proud and, and, and get the ship steered in the right direction. Quick time travel before this season, obviously you took time off coaching, but did you feel that you're ready to take the next step to, to, you know, become a head coach? Was that something you'd thought about beforehand? Well, I had done it a little bit with some junior teams and stuff kind of in the past. And so, um, I'm familiar with it. There's, there's some things that, uh, again, um, you know, I, I think I need some, 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 a little bit more practice with, but again, like I said, I'm not afraid to do the work. So, um, at the beginning of the year, no, it was not like the, the head coach, um, I, there was some conversations before I took my kind of time away from the team in, in 20, after 2018 about, you know, the succession plan, cause Derek wasn't always going to be there. And, um, but again, for me, it was, it was family first and the opportunity had to be the right one and I had to work for my family. And, um, you know, I, I went into this season just excited to learn and to, to, to gain all the knowledge I could from, from Jeff in terms of the ins and outs of running an offense and the intricacies of the game. And, um, you know, that, that was, that was always my focus was just to, to pull on the same rope and, and to encourage everybody to do the same thing. Cause, um, I'm a firm believer in, it doesn't matter, you know, what system you run, as long as everybody's pulling on that same rope or buying in that the, the system's going to be successful. And so, um, I went into the season, just really excited to be back with the guys. It's a great group of, uh, you know, uh, players that we get to work with weekly. Uh, the organization is nothing but top notch. It's always been that way. I've always had a, you know, a, a, a kind of smile on my face when I talk about the rush. And uh, I, I really just was looking forward to contributing to having a good season. Now, you're obviously the, one of the vocal leaders on the floor, especially I've got to watch practice and shoot around. You're not afraid to, to use your voice out there. Is that something about your coaching style that you think is going to be effective in a head coach role? Yeah, and again, I think communication is one of those things where, where timing is, is everything and then how you deliver the message. Um, I think a lot of times... Again, I'm fortunate where I work daily as a teacher, and I know um, through my 15, 20 years as, a, as an educator that the message, and even as a parent, the message gets lost sometimes depending on the delivery. So um, each player is unique, each person is unique, and um, everyone needs something a little bit different. And so how you reach those people, uh, I believe first and foremost, you have to have a connection with them, and you have to have a pulse on, on what makes them work and what makes them tick. And then again, it's making sure that the message isn't lost in the delivery. So there's some guys you can kind of be a little bit more firm and direct with. And uh, there's some guys that maybe need a more of a pat on the back. And so understanding uh, your clientele, as I call it, is, is very important. And then uh, the timing. So um, will I be vocal? I will definitely be vocal. Will I be energetic? That's just who I am. And so um, that's the one thing that I, I really hold dear to my heart is, is, is to be true to yourself and to be who you are. Um, and so that's who I'll be. I'll, I'll be myself. And so if someone needs a bit of a, an earful, they're going to get an earful, but at the same time, uh, you can't pat guys enough on the back for the good jobs they do. Cause I think that's what keeps them coming back for more. Well, let's talk about your clientele then what needs to change on the floor here to go four and zero to close out the year. Well, I don't even think I, I'll be honest with you. I'm not looking at four and oh, I'm looking at Vancouver. And then, um, so really it, it's just making sure that 
um, throughout the course of the game, guys know what's expected of them. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, I'll be, I'll be clear in terms of, and again, Derek will be on the bench and, uh, you know, we've had a good relationship. Um, accountability will be a big thing and then it'll go a long way. And so for us, it's just going to be coming out and being prepared and executing and staying the course. Um, obviously I think, uh, with the group we've had, it's been, you know, nothing but good times since about 2013, 2014, where we were always winning. And right now we're in, we're in a spot we're unfamiliar with. And so, um, the big thing for me this weekend is getting the, the, the guys kind of to loosen up and to realize that the game is fun. It's a privilege to play. It's an honor to wear that rush uniform. And, um, you got to outwork the guy across from you on the other team. And it's, it's pretty simple when, when you, when it comes down to it, our, our team has been prepared all season. Jeff McComb did a wonderful job, a tremendous job. I, I learned a ton through him about preparation and, and details and the finer points of the game. Um, for us, it's just, again, making sure that we find a way to stay the course. And I think at times that means bringing the group together and, and telling them what the expectation is and how we're going to, we're going to, we're going to meet that expectation. And so um, I, again, I'm a guy who loves to talk. I'm a guy who loves to communicate and that comes fairly naturally to me. So um, that's the biggest piece I think we need to do. And, and again, we're not looking at anything past uh, the Vancouver this weekend. Okay, one last one for you. Let's go back to your playing days. What, who, which coach has had the biggest impact on you? Who do you remember had an impact on the way you know you've developed into a lacrosse person? Well, I I, I would be reminisced not to say everybody. I mean, there's players who've had huge impacts on me. Um, I, I think instantly, like uh, we have we have his son on our team, Tristan Rye. Paul Rye was one of the first guys who really taught me to work. At a, at a young age and, and what it meant. And AJ Joma was another guy from Edmonton who taught me what it, what, what it was to work. And then I was fortunate enough to play under some great lacrosse minds. Um, I got made my way to Orangeville in my last year and played under the Sandersons. And I, I quickly learned, um, you know, what having a high expectation of somebody was and meeting that high expectation. And then again, I got into the NLL um, with Terry Sanderson. Uh, and, he, and he was again, another guy who, wasn't afraid to kick you in the butt, but at the same time, pat you on the back when you did well. Uh, I was lucky to play with some really good lacrosse players in my senior days when I first kind of started in, in like Kurt Miloski and Tracy Koleski. And those guys are head coaches now in the National Lacrosse League. And, and they were all work. Um, you know, it was, it was fun when it was fun, but it was serious when it was serious. Um, and then as I got into the program, like Paul Day was great for me when I made my way to Edmonton in the, in the beginning. And then, um, I think I kind of hit the, hit the jackpot with Derek Keenan. Um, he, he was unbelievable to me. I, I learned probably the most important lesson in life is honesty. And you got to be honest with people, even when it's hard. And him and I had a number of honest and hard conversations as players, uh, as I, me being the player, him being the coach. And a lot of times it wasn't things I wanted to hear, but again, because he was always constantly communicating and honest with me and he had an interest in, both me on the floor and off the floor, I was able to to digest and process that information. And, and it made me not only a better person, but a better player. And so um, there's a ton of them. And uh, again, as a guy who likes to talk, I could go on forever um, about those people. I, I And again, I, I think I'm, you know, I'm here because of those people. Um, I'm here because of all the, the people I've got to work with. Uh, and that's, again, kind of how I'm going to approach it. I think everybody has value everyone can bring an idea and and that's what i uh really look forward to is the the collaboration of of making this thing uh get in the go in the right direction jamie this is awesome congrats on the promotion we'll see you this weekend thank you you have a wonderful day
I was also lucky enough this week to have a few minutes to sit down with Rush GM, Darren Keenan, now the associate head coach for the remainder of this season. Here he is. It's a Rush Hour podcast presented by Original 16, Cody James, and joined alongside Derek Keenan. And Derek, obviously big changes happen on Saturday. Can you just walk me through the lead up and the conversations and the thought process you have going into something like that? Well, it was obviously a really difficult decision because I, like I, like I said, and, and everybody said Jeff McComb, he's a very, very good coach. We've been together a long time. It goes way back to even Port, or, uh, Anaheim, Portland. We won two mental cups together in junior A. So we've had a great relationship, working relationship. So it was, it was difficult, but, um, it just really came to, even though only four games left, um, we just really feel that, that I feel that, and it, and it was my decision that the team has underperformed based on what I believe our talent is. Um, and I think a lot of people believe what our talent is and was. So, I mean, has, has it been overestimated a little bit? Maybe, but I just don't think we're a four and 10 team. So, um, we're really on the outside looking in now in terms of playoff, but we're going to do everything we can to, to let the chips fall where they may in terms of, you know, maybe some things happen that we get lucky, but the bottom line is that we have to win every game and it's going to start this weekend. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a long thought process. Like it, you know, I, I went away last Tuesday. I started thinking about it kind of Sunday after the, the Calgary loss, um, and thought about it for four or five days and then made a decision had done some a little bit of work in terms of what we were going to do for the rest of the year and then had some converse, concert conversations with Jimmy about next year. Um, it took a while to get that kind of confirmed because, you know, Jimmy's got three young girls and he, he's got a teaching job in Edmonton and we had to make sure things were going to be right there for him to be able to commit to next year. So once we had that uh, in place, you know, we kind of knew what we were going to do in the in, in the interim, meaning the rest of this year, but Next year, it took a little bit longer to figure out, and once we figured that out, we were we were going to go ahead and with the plan. And um, again, like, and and you know, and all, and all players will like everybody here is accountable to this, and especially me. Like, I, the buck stops with me, and um, our players, I know, definitely are feeling some responsibility in this, or a lot of responsibility in this. When I talk to our our leadership group about it, and uh, it's it's not a great feeling when you've kind of let let a guy down and and uh, and now it's it's a situation where I think they want to prove that we're better than we've shown and like I said I think we're better than a four and ten team we're you know we should be in the mix in our division because I think our division our division's up for grabs like I just don't think there's any one team that's any that that's better than any any other team like I think. You know, I think we're just as good as the team that's in first place. And uh, so it's uh, it's just been one of those years where we've lost a ton of really close games where we haven't performed well in second halves in particular. And um, it was time just uh, to see what we can do going down the stretch here. How tough was it personally for you to separate your personal and business relationship with a coach who you've worked with for so long? You've won three NLL mm-hmm. championships with. Mm-hmm. Really, really hard. I mean, the hardest part, without a question, without a doubt. I mean, 
you know, we've been great colleagues. We're friends. We've had a lot of good times together. We've had a lot of laughs together. You know, um, we've had a lot of success. You know, if you look at, you know, aside from this year, you know, if you look at the eight years, there's just, there's nobody really with close to the record that we've had. So, uh, it, that makes it really hard. And, um, you know, like I said, and it's not Jeff, like it's, you know, uh, he's a good coach and he, he, he did all the work that he needed to do. It just, for whatever reason, the message wasn't getting through to the guys and, uh, we weren't executing, you know, what the game plans were to a degree that we, we should have won more of those one and two goal games. And, uh, that's why the decision was made. What were those conversations with Jimmy Light like when you first brought up the idea of, you know, transitioning into the role of head coach? Well, first off, I, I think it's important. Like Jimmy, Jimmy's been choked all year because he's been the offensive coach and the offense hasn't performed to the level of what we think is the ability. So that's pretty tough on him. It's been hard on him and he's been kind of pulling his hair out all season, figuring, trying to figure things out here. But, you know, it, Jimmy's a Jimmy's a high energy guy, and Jimmy's um, he's well liked, well respected. Um, so there, there weren't there wasn't a great deal of conversation in terms of you know what are you going to bring to the table, Jimmy? Because I know what he's going to bring, and uh, um, it was more you know what can we do these last four games to try and compete to the best of our ability and try and you know, sneak in if we can, but with the goal of being, we're going to, we owe it to our new ownership. We owe it to our fans to try and win every game. And, uh, like I've said time and time this week, like there's no tank in us. We're not playing for a draft pick. We're playing, you know, for, I think for a lot of the players, it's, it's kind of a, a pride thing because they believe they're better than they are or that better than our record is shown. So I think they're going to compete. And, um, so, you know, Jimmy, will, he'll work with me for four games. He's still going to coach the offense, of course, and I'll kind of guide him along a little bit here uh, down the stretch, and then hes it's going to be his his to take over next year. So what makes Jimmy Quinlan the right fit to be the next head coach of the Rush? What do you like? What are like qualities, aspects? Like I said, uh, energy, leadership, good communicator, like the energy level that he brings, I think, is really key. Um, I think he's got good composure, um, uh, I think his communication skills are excellent. So those are the things that I think, you know, Jimmy's, Jimmy's a teacher by profession. So he tends to, to be able to teach well, you know, too. So those are the things I think he's going to bring to the table. You coach Jimmy. Do you see a little bit of yourself in him where, I mean, he's not afraid to get heated and he's a very vocal coach and you've obviously, you know, you've done the same in your time in the league. Do you see a little bit of yourself in him? No, I mean I don't know. I, I, I don't I don't wanna really no, I don't wanna say that because I, I think everybody has to be their own person. They have to be their own guy and their own style and um you know, I I I don't even know how to describe what my style was. I definitely was a players coach, there's no doubt about that. I wasn't one to get in guys' grills and embarrass guys and, and things like that. I don't think Jimmy is either. So, uh, you know, I just think that he's going to be well-respected. Um, his style is that he's, a, he's an energetic guy. And, uh, when you're, when you have a group of guys that largely they, they fly in every week and it's a grind on your body and it's a grind on your mind, especially when you're not doing well, 
when you have a guy with that kind of energy to come in and kind of lift the guys, I think that helps. Do you think some of those second half slumps may have come from just, you know, being a little too low energy on the bench? Is that something that, you know, you've got a feel for now that you did take some time and stand on the bench this year? Uh, that one's a really tough one to, to explain. I mean, I, I think part of it, part of it is, you know, there's, there's been an undisclosed injury on one of our best players the entire season and that's really hurt us. Um, and I think part of it is maybe a bit of fitness on the offensive end. Um, not on the defensive end though. I think we've been excellent. Like, so, you know, I don't know. It, it's hard to, it's hard to explain. Like we just seem to come out in third quarters and not have a lot of life, you know? And, uh, and there's been numerous games like that where we, we've really had very good starts, very good, very good. You know, I, the only game I can think of that we weren't good in the first half was the Vancouver game in Vancouver where we just got blown out in the second quarter and the game was over. Other than that, we've been really good in first halves. But then come third quarter, we just seem to lack that killer instinct. And that's very unlike our group, you know. So, um we need to figure out a way to, to make that better. And, uh, and, and hopefully Jimmy and I can figure that out down the stretch here and we can string together some wins and, and see what happens. But, you know, if you look at our team statistically, Cody, you know, we've given up the least amount of shots in the league per game. We have the second amount of shots on goal per game in the league. So to me, that should add up to a better record than four and 10. I mean, even if we're a 500 team, we're in the hunt. If we're an eight and six team, we're, you know, we're in second place. So it's, uh, it's been frustrating because there's been a lot of, you know, a lot of it, a lot of it is, to, is, is finished to be honest. Like I look, we look back at that last game in Calgary or against Calgary at home. We lose eight, six. We had 35 to 40 quality scoring chances and got six goals. We had 14 quality transition chances and got zero in transition. Zero. So like, and that's just not Jeff McCombs fault either. That's, that's on the players. You know, why, why suddenly after being probably the best overall transition team for eight or nine years that we just can't score anymore in transition? I, I don't know, but we need to find answers to that because those are big goals that, that we're not scoring at key times. And uh, we had numerous opportunities, even in the second half against Calgary, and we just didn't finish. And, uh, you know, I look at our power play down the stretch when it's only a two-goal game, under five, we get a timeout, you know, uh, with our ball. And our power play, we did not execute at all. I don't even think we got a shot in, in three possessions. So stuff like that, we just simply have to be better. Derek, I got an interesting question for you because I was crunching up some numbers before the game this weekend. And goaltenders, Alexis Bouquet, Christian Del Bianco and Dylan Ward, their save percentages on the season, they're they're very average. I mean, Dylan Ward's obviously an elite goaltender, but whenever they play against the rush, it's elevated by 0.4 to 0.6. Is is there yep. something you see in these guys? Do they just elevate their game against Saskatchewan's offense here? They certainly appear to. I, I mean, they're all they're all very good goalies. Del Bianco's he's been just lights out against us this year. Like if you look at you know, the guy you're going to have up next on your podcast, he's normally a very high percentage shooter. He's not this year. And a lot of it's been against Calgary. Real quality looks against Colorado. Same thing. Like, a lot of real quality looks. And, you know, I guess 
these guys get up to play against us. And you know what? Maybe we have to look better at what our shooting plan is and what our strategy is against these guys and, uh, and dig deep into that. But you know what? Your stats are bang on and they're, they're head scratchers to me. Like they really are. And, uh, you know, like going into our, our game, our last game against Calgary and even post that game, like Dalbianco, real good young goalie, but his save percentage was bottom third of the league against us, you know, like 80 plus percent. And even higher, I think it was like 85 or something that game. So why is that? I mean, we need to look at that and study that and figure out how we better shooting plans and better, better execution too against them. Well, Derek, I appreciate you taking the time here. I got one last one for you, and it's the one that everyone wants to know is next season. You know, you kind of mentioned it earlier. You want to see Jimmy step into that head coach role. What's your plan? I mean, are you going to be back on the bench? Are you going to be, you know, sticking in the general manager position? What can we expect to see next season? No, I definitely won't be on the bench. So I'll be just general manager, and we'll find an offensive coach to fill that role. And um, there's lots of good young coaches out there, I think, and uh, we'll we'll do some some work this off season trying to find the right guy that fits well with our players and with our staff, and uh, you know we'll we'll kind of go from there. But no, I definitely will not be on the bench. <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time here, Derek. Hey, this okay. has been awesome. We'll right. see you against uh, Vancouver on Saturday. Right. You bet. Okay, Cody. Thanks, man. Switching gears from behind the bench to on the floor. Ryan Keenan, of course, the first overall draft pick. He's won a championship already in his young NLL career. Well, he joined to talk about a little bit more of his life and less on the field. It's a Rush Hour podcast presented by Original 16, Cody Jansen. Joined now by Ryan Keenan. We had Derek on earlier. We had to get Ryan on here to talk about things. Ryan, how's it going? Where are you at right now? Um, I'm, I'm in Los Angeles right now, uh, enjoying the sunshine. Um, just getting ready for the, for the weekend ahead here for a game in Sask. What part of LA are you in? Like, are you in like Beverly Hills or Compton? <laughs> uh, not quite uh, either. I'm, uh, I'm like Culver city area. So I don't know, like 10 minutes to the beach. Where's not the, where's bad. the, where's the go-to hangout spot? Is it Newport beach or what? Uh, Newport's a little quieter, uh, nice, nice area to go. Um, I like getting into, into Santa Monica, lots going on there and you still get the beach, but, uh, Culver, Culver city area where I'm at right now is, is pretty cool spot. Uh, lots going on, a lot of, uh, trendy places to go. So it's, it's, it's been fun. Fair enough. Walk me through a day in the life. What's going on with you right now? Like what do your normal days look like during the week? Oh, days, uh, grinding um i working uh i work for a health and beauty company uh as an account manager so um just uh you know seeing clients throughout the day and on calls and meetings and uh and then uh you know of course kind of a bit of a flexible schedule so i'm i'm training usually in the afternoon getting my my workouts in and and taking care of the body and uh and then that's about it getting home and cooking a good dinner but you know, in season things can be uh, things can be a grind. So you just gotta just kind of stick to the schedule and uh, and get through the week and prepare for the weekends. Is there other lacrosse guys down there who you can you know if you're really bored and you're like, hey, let's go pass the ball or go shoot around? Is there someone you can contact or what? Uh, no, not I mean none of the uh, NLL guys. No, I don't think so. So um, yeah, I just I usually tend to just go get shots in on my own when I'm free. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, let's walk it all the way back. What do you first remember about picking up a lacrosse stick? How'd you get into it? Uh, I, I don't even know if I was walking yet, and uh, the stick was put in my hands when I was in diapers still. Um, 
obviously a bit of a lacrosse background in the family. So um, I was kind of born into it. I, I don't really, you know, remember exactly um, what, what, what the first memory is, but I, I know I was in it from a young age, like, you know, paperweight back in Ontario and, uh, and kind of just over the years um, grew up and fell in love with the game. What sold you on the game then? Like, when do you kind of remember? Was it watching your dad or, you know, just hearing stories from him being like, okay, yeah, I want to pursue the NLL as well. Yeah, it was always kind of like 50-50 um, competitive uh, in, in regards to hockey and lacrosse. Um, both of those were, were, were my main two sports growing up. And um, I, I think there was, you know, an added, of course, bonus with um, – I, my dad at that time when, when I was younger was an assistant coach for the Toronto rock. And, uh, that really, um, just being able to go to those games locally and, and, you know, being on the floor as a ball boy, meeting all the players, um, you know, legends of the game at that time. And then being up in the press boxes you know, during games, that was, I think a really cool, uh, special memory as a kid, you know, being able to bring friends to that too, and, and kind of enhance my love for the game. Um, and then of course, just for hockey too, I think compared to other sports, I just felt, you know, a, a really strong team atmosphere, team, uh, team environment, um, that you could build and grow a lot of relationships through. So who did you look up, up to as a player that on some of those rock teams, who are the guys that you're watching? Um, I would say probably I, Colin Doyle and Josh Anderson at the time were the, the two kind of superstar lefties that I looked up to and, and, and tried to, you know find ways to to play like them and and mold my game into were you just disgusting during minor lacrosse like there's no way with your dad helping you out like you must have been tearing it up but like the u10 u12 levels <laughs> no i think quite the opposite i was uh i was a i was a pretty big late bloomer um i think you know minor midget hockey was the smallest guy on my team and uh lacrosse kind of right right in the same boat um and so my body kind of took a while to catch up and and uh, even even develop um, just with that, like with confidence and things, it kind of took me a little a little while to kind of break out um, into I don't know maybe later in, in high school and, and beyond that. But no, nothing uh, nothing too special growing up. Okay, well you got to elaborate on a story I may or may not have heard. So uh, you guys are at provincials when you're in Pee Wee mm -hmm. or Bantam, and uh, there's a chance you forgot your jersey or you lost your jersey. Oh man. Um, yeah, well, those are the days when you, when you know, kids had to bring their own jerseys to the games or in your in your in your suit bag, and uh, I don't know, it's a lot of responsibility for a young kid, and I I, I don't know who you might have heard that from, but there there may have been a, a forgotten jersey at some point. So you get a strict talking to, or what? Like, were you able to play? Like, were you able to find it, or what? Yeah, I don't know. I think I might have worn like a backup goalie jersey, and it was like I had to like tie tie tape around it just to be able to go out there, but I was still. Still swimming in the thing. Oh, I'm sure that uh, took away a couple of style points off you. Yeah. What What do you remember then from, you know, in, in juniors? Like, obviously, you had to have, before the 2013 season, been like, hey, you know what? There's schools looking at me. I'm getting a lot of interest. I'm playing in a Whitby system that's had a lot of success. Like, when do you remember being like, okay, I'm fully in on lacrosse now? Yeah, I think probably around that time. I mean, like I said, even up before that, that year, I was still kind of growing into my body and still developing as a player and uh and learning the game at that higher level like i think 2011 was my first season where i, I was called up and played a bit with the warriors but um 
you know, I was just ne- nowhere near ready to, to, to fully compete at that level against, against the grown men. And, and the next year, um, played in the Minto that we hosted in 2012 and, and still had some, you know, as a young guy in the team and had some work to do, but there was definitely a lot of development there, um, that was going on. And I think my years at the Hill Academy really, really kind of molded me and, and, and all that time I spent there to really develop and, and push me ahead. So kind of right at the end of, of high school was when I started, you know, getting offers and, and looking to go down to the U S and, and could tell that things were getting serious there. Um, and, and then that was also right around heading into 2013 when I, I feel like it kind of, things kind of started to develop for me and, and grow in confidence. And, uh, I started to break out a bit. Was 2012 the year that Dylan Ward stood on his head all tournament? Yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, yeah, did Orange. Yeah, that was. Yeah, they won in Whippy. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was pretty lights out. Yeah, uh, not, not a bad goalie to have. Yeah. yeah. Twenty thirteen though. Let's talk about your team because you and Lintner now now connecting in Saskatchewan here, but you guys were lighting it up in the Minto. What was that like for you? That's got to be a special moment. Yeah, yeah, we have great mem- memories. You know, Dan and I are are pretty close buddies, and that was kind of one of the years that that started. Um, it's we just had, you know, you look around the league, and there's I don't know like at least I'd probably 75% of our team that year is, is now playing in the NLL. It was pretty, a pretty stacked group. Um, you know, guys, yeah, like Littner, Chad Tutton, Riley O'Connor, you know, you, Graham Hossick, who at the time kind of just we, was, that was just kind of like when he was breaking out and no one had really known about him before. So, um, yeah, that was a special group with a lot of buddies from the Whip, the Whippy Oshawa Curtis area. So it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. You guys win that in new West. Uh, yeah, we were in New West. Yep. So do you get to stay an extra night or two and party or what was that? What was that like? Yeah. You know, um, Every, I, everyone was of course yeah, legal oh, drinking. Sure. age. Yeah, of course. Of course. I, I, you know, I think, yeah, the older guys, um, we, uh, we definitely stayed. I think a few guys stayed for a while cause, um, we'd eventually moved to a hotel like right downtown, um, w- which was nice, but I think I stayed the first night and then I literally had to get on a plane and get home. Cause I had, we had, I had to get back to school. Like it was my second year and we had started early at, at university. So I had, to, I had to get back to Connecticut and, and get to school. So my, uh, my time was limited, but I know some, some of the boys stayed a few extra days and enjoyed. Geez. Only one night at the Roxy for you. Yeah. Only one night. Hey, how does Quinnipiac come about then? How many trips did you do? Where did you go and what sold you on it? Um, yeah, Quinnipiac kind of came up, um, uh, really late in the process um you know i was talking to a few schools um my, my last year of high school and and things kind of just didn't didn't work out where it wasn't where it, you know it needed to be for the family and um and uh i kind of finished my last year thinking well i guess i don't know i'm gonna go back for a, a pg year a, a fifth year of high school and see what happens um and then I think I was just playing like in a summer, like early summer tournament and just did really well. And, and they kind of saw me and were willing to, to take a, you know, a big chance on me and bring me in right away. And, um, so that all happened really quickly. And then I had a guy, you know, a local guy from Brampton who helped me, who was there and, um, go through the process and, and understand more about the school. And I went on the visit and just, and loved it. So, um, yeah, that was like kind of like a two month turnaround. And I said, all right, I guess I'm, I'm going here. You guys made the NCAA tournament too, eh? Was that 2016? Yeah, that was my last year, 2016. We uh, 
yeah, that was that was our Explain best year. Explain that sure. to people because you know the the fans in Saskatchewan obviously field lacrosse is still very new in Saskatchewan, but explain how big that is and just your experience there. Yeah, that that was that was just you know a special year with a, a great group of guys and and you know it's 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 totally different playing field lacrosse, but when you when you're on on a team like that in university with like forty guys and 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 you're three hour practices a day you're in the in the gym together like you really become a, a tight-knit group uh like a family and um yeah you know a lot of guys in the league play at a lot of top tier including guys in our team top division one schools and we were more of an up-and-coming university not you know not really ranked anywhere high usually and um that year we we just had a good year and were able to get to the um win an NCAA uh, game and then and then get to the get to the um, the next round against the number one team Maryland and unfortunately Maryland's where it ended yeah Maryland was there in it where it ended they, they, always, just, uh, they always got a win they, they, yeah they were yeah we were, there was no beating them <laughs> so so I mean sorry to get off topic but you're are you going to tell me that there's no way that Paul Rabel hasn't been blowing up your phone after your first few years in the league and stuff when the PLL was starting they, you're not getting interest or what uh no no i don't i don't think so um yeah i don't know i've always been more of a box player um but yeah i i you were lighting it up in college though what do you have your last year 33 goals um 30 plus i'm not not too sure yeah that was uh i don't know after that there was still the plo wasn't around and i don't know i just i came back home and kind of got right into working and another job and you know wanted to not just be playing lacrosse so Fair enough. I guess, I guess that's fine. I guess we'll let that one settle. Hey, what was your welcome to the NLL moment? Like what time, you know, is it a game or a moment when you're kind of like, oh damn, this isn't juniors. This isn't college. This is the NLL. These guys mean business. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking back my first year. Um, it's funny. Like every level you kind of, for me, you realize that you, you got to just develop into it and, and grow and become a, you know, bigger and stronger and faster. And that's, what I realized my first year when I thought I was ready and then you play against these guys and it's, it's a whole different pace than, than playing in, you know, another league or junior or senior A uh, lacrosse back home. It's everyone's, you know, everyone's in top, top tier shape and everyone's big and strong and athletic. And, um, so I don't know, I definitely would have gotten run over. I think in the first year, I think I remember like playing against Georgia and John ran again, I think who it was, who's an absolute beast. I think he, he ran over me, kind of came out of nowhere, and I realized, yeah, this is this isn't uh, you know juniors anymore. Heavy hitter right there. Hey, were you ever pranked in your rookie year or something? You gotta have a good prank story. Um, I think. Uh, I mean, there's always stupid things going on in our team, like little things, um, you know, that that rookies wouldn't be aware of. But I don't know if I was ever, ever pranked. I just I would probably get fined at least once every you know every week for one in the fine jar oh who knows stupid things like off the floor or you guys would like you know the, the, the team peanut butter or something it'd be hiding in my bag and i'd get fined and have no idea it was someone had put it in there or just guys are stupid and and we just i don't know we have we definitely try and razz each other so you're claiming innocence on being a snack stealer yeah i yeah i i'm innocent but uh i was proven guilty apparently all right, let's have some fun here to close it out, Ryan. What's uh? You said your day job. You're you're in medic or uh, was it medical and healthcare sales? Yeah, like health and beauty sales. Okay, so what do you do? I mean, just give me a little bit of a basic rundown here. 
I sell product. I don't know. I just what, um, what product? No, I, I mean we'll give you a plug here. Maybe we'll help you with some sales. No, I, I don't know. I don't know. But I mean anything you you name it, like skincare, uh, hair care, all uh, cosmetics, all sorts of stuff. A lot of brand name goods. Um, so stuff I need so to be on TV. I, lot, lots of samples. If any, yeah. If anyone wants any, you know, samples shipped their way, maybe I can help them out. What's your go-to travel snack? Um, like like getting on the plane. Yeah, playing Carter, wherever you're yeah. going. Travel snack. I always, I always like to carry around a, a bag of almonds or something on me. Um, I just, you know, a nice, a nice power snack on the go. Um, nice and easy. What's dinner if you're cooking? Uh, I, I like to mix it up. I, I, I like cooking a lot. So um, I don't know, usually a big shop on on Sundays, and uh, you never know. It could be some sort of chicken dish or, or pork or. I usually try and do a steak night every week and, uh, or a salmon. Um, tonight I think I got some nice steaks on the grill going, so looking forward to that. But you got to work me through the whole meal here. How are you doing the steaks? What are you having for sides? Uh, well, the steaks, I think there are a couple nice big ribeyes. Um, so they'll be grilled and, you know, maybe some sauteed mushrooms on them. Uh, I think going to do some, do some Brussels spreads with that and probably some, uh, some uh, diced potatoes on the side. You lost me at you the know, mushrooms. Maybe, maybe a little Caesar salad as well if I'm really feeling good. It's a good call, and that's actually funny enough. That's what we're having. It's Wednesday night we're recording. But, yeah, steaks and Caesar salads the go-to. Mushrooms, you lost me, though. Hey, what's uh, what's your favorite movie of all time? Oh, man, you're going to put me on the spot here. 100%. Uh, I, I mean, com- I don't know, comedy, movie. I really like, I don't know, Big Daddy is one of my, is one of my favorite movies. My, definitely my favorite Adam Sandler movie. Um, but I mean, I love some of the classics, Shawshank Redemption, probably, um, Blood Diamond's a favorite of mine. So you watching anything on TV right now? Any shows going? Yeah, I've got uh succession going right now. Um, which I'm pretty into just, just on the third season. It's a, it's a good show. Never watched it, but, uh, okay. We're going to close it out here with, uh, so I got, I got the information that you've had a, a couple of interesting fishing trips. With uh, one person who uh-huh. might be on the podcast or might not. You got any funny fishing stories? Because he says you've been out to lunch a couple of times. Hey, who, who said I've been out? He said I've been out to lunch? says you might get sidetracked. Oh, God. <coughs> I don't know. I can tell. I, the person you have in question, I mean, I can... Uh, okay, well, give, give me a funny story about him then from fishing. Of his as well. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. Know. I think I'm pretty perfect in my fishing. Uh, so I can let you know about... about about that guy and his his trip were in the back lakes in a canoe and he tipped the canoe and had about eight rods in and tipped over his buddy all his gear all his rods in the bottom of the lake oh so, no they ruined or did he get he, back i think he was a i think like through insurance but like i think he was down he was down there like for hours trying to get to the bottom and, and find everything and, and couldn't get anything no way so, too many wobbly pops probably a few too many yeah all right, Ryan, this has been a blast, man. I appreciate it. Best of luck on Saturday, and we'll see you in Saskatoon. Awesome, man. Thanks, Cody. Appreciate it. And we'll wrap it up with a conversation. Former Saskatchewan Rush broadcaster Jake Elliott. Jumbo hopped on. Stop by for a second. We preview Warriors and Rush. It's Rush Hour Podcast presented by Original 16, Cody Jansen, joined by former voice of the Rush, Jake Elliott. Jumbo joins us. Jumbo, how you been? 
I've been good, man. It's been kind of up and down a little bit lately, like uh, the Warriors season go. That kind of ha- that's kind of how my mood goes. Is how they go. You know, if they're winning, I'm happy and cheerful, and if they're losing, then not so much. So uh, we'll see what happens. See how I'm feeling after the weekend. Let me let me say that. Well, hey, you can join the club there. You know what? The Warriors have had an <laughs> yeah, up and down right. season. I'm preaching to the choir, Cody. I'm <laughs> preaching to the choir, I'm sure. But when you look at the Warriors season, Jake, you know, to do this without Mitch Jones, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe you can break it down better for me, but they've kind of been overachieving for missing their best offensive weapon. Yeah, you know what? I said it on uh, Lacrosse Classified. And just uh, full disclosure here, Cody, I'm heading into a tunnel for the next 500 meters. So if I lose you, my, my apologies, we'll, we'll hook it up on the other side. But as far as Mitch Jones goes, I don't, I said this on last class this week that I don't think there's another guy that is more important to his team than Mitch. And for them to even be in the position that they're in and to do it for as long as Mitch has been out, this is a short little couple of four weeks here that we're going on two months. So, you know, it's a long time to go without your best career and your emotional leader and, and, and all of that. So it's been impressive. There's been nights where it hasn't really been there, but there's been more often than not goals for him. So one of the things that the Russian Warriors have in common is Albany handed them losses this season, and you got to call that game against Albany, which was the Warriors' last one. What did you see there? What did you like and what didn't you like? Yeah, you know what? That was a tough one for Vancouver. Of course, they were coming off the back-to-back in an emotional overtime loss the night before, and, and that's never an easy thing to kind of go through something like that, the travel, and then and then get up for the next one. But when you're in the situation that the Warriors and the firewalls were in at that at that game. Like they they know they have to win out to make the playoffs. That was the situation for Albany last week, and now I believe that's going to be the situation here for Vancouver this week. So um, Albany Dougie Jamison was just lights out in that game, and Vancouver actually I felt like outplayed them. They outshot them. It was a fairly clean lacrosse game. Not, not a lot of special teams involved there, and. Albany just got a little more production in transition and offensively, some timely goals. And, and like I said, Dougie was the difference. And, and when he's playing like that, Albany's going to be a tough out. So Alex Bouquet stood on his head. You know, both times, really, the Rush have played Vancouver this season, including that first one when they did lose. Yeah, I don't know even if it's the Rush's kryptonite, Cody. I, I really think when Alex Bouquet is on his game, Vancouver is a really tough team to beat. And there's been a lot of nights this season where Alex has been really good, particularly at the start of the season. Either, you know, they started prior last game. I'm really expecting him to go back to Alex, obviously, for for this one. But when he when he plays up to his potential, he gives Vancouver a chance to win. And that's what he's going to need to do. He doesn't need to be Matt Vince or El Bianco or Doug Jamison. He just needs to be the best that Alexis Bouquet can be. And when he's that... Vancouver, the defense, the block shots, the loose balls, they can kind of pick up the slack in that regard. So he's got to be solid. He doesn't have to be spectacular. What do you see as, you know, one of the issues with Saskatchewan right now? Well, I, I think it's not, it's more of a question who's not there anymore rather than who's there. Like, I, that's why the, the coaching change really kind of took me back a little bit. You think about the 30-year-plus relationship with DK and Butts. 
uh, him being a first-year head coach coming off a pandemic break, the fact that they lost their starting goaltender in Evan Kirk, their face-off man in Jeremy Thompson, uh, the tractor, Matty Hosick off to Panther City, Marty Dinsdale, Ben McIntosh, no more Connor Robinson, Marshall Paulus hasn't really panned out, Shatler's two years older, and, and Bubs takes the ball here for what I think is just a combination of a whole lot of pieces gone on that team, and everybody's a couple of years older. It's definitely something that's been pointed out for sure. What's your thoughts on Jimmy stepping behind? Obviously, you've seen him from a playing days and then to coaching days. Do you think he's ready for the head coach role? Do you think he's a good fit? Well, fun fact, uh, Cody, I saw your tweet yesterday about your conversation with Jimmy. And I don't know if he said, you know, the coaches that were most influential on him. I don't know if my name came up or not, Cody Jansen, but I coached Jimmy Quinn way back in junior lacrosse in New Westminster as a young, fresh-faced Jimmy Quinlan from Sherwood Park. Came to uh, the Royal City there to play for the Junior Bellies. But anyways, uh, tongue-in-cheek there. Um, Jimmy's, Jimmy's head coach material. He's, he's got the quality. He's obviously got the, the experience now, both as, as a player, his jersey hangs in the rafters, and he does a lot of coaching away from the National Lacrosse League as well. And I think he's a guy that is well-respected within that room, and obviously by Derek as well. And we'll see what they do. Like, I, I, I kind of suggested it a couple of months ago. Maybe, like, you don't even have to remove the, the head coaching tag off of McComb. Just put Jimmy in the middle of the bench and put Bob's back up on the front gate because I think that's where he was most effective is running that offense. And maybe the whole of it became a little too much for him. I don't know. But uh, I, I think Jimmy's ready for the moment, and I think he's going to be the right guy there in Saskatchewan. Great breakdown. Great insight. Jake, I know you're going golfing. What's the handicap right now? How are you shooting? Well, I'm actually going disc golfing, Cody Jensen. I don't know oh. if you know what disc golf is. No. Wow, it's you're essentially gonna... golf with frisbees, and uh, we're going up to Squamish, which is just a beautiful part of the lower mainland here. And uh, it's a course I've never played before, but I, you know, it's, it's like my regular golf game, man. Sometimes I have good days, sometimes I have bad days. Uh, but anytime you're outside in the beautiful sunshine up in Squamish, BC, it's a good day. For sure, for sure, Jumbo. Well, good to catch up with you. Glad to hear you're doing well, and best of luck. We'll, we'll catch up with you later on in the season. You got it, man. Have a good call this weekend. Go Warriors! Great conversations, great stories, and even better people. It's Cody Jansen, Voice of the Rush, with your Rush Hour podcast, presented by Original 16 all season long. Saturday, we got Saskatchewan, Vancouver. These teams one and one against each other on the season. The Rush, they picked up their first one of the year against Vancouver, and then they had a second quarter fallout the last visit they had to British Columbia. So, one of these teams is going to win the season series, and it starts on Saturday. Note the time change. Game time's at 8 o'clock. That means our pregame show, Rush Hour Live, with myself, Cody Jansen, Darren DuPont, and Savita Maud. That's at 6.30 this week. You can watch it on the Rush Facebook page, YouTube pages, and we're going to catch up with a lot of players after the bye week. There's still a chance, mathematically, not eliminated yet. This has been another edition of the Rush Hour Podcast presented by Original 16 on Saturday. It's Saskatchewan, Vancouver. Enjoy.